Hey everyone, just a quick heads up. Uh, this interview was recorded last week, so um, obviously Tony Vanderson did end up signing, and this campaign has been connected to the LA Sparks. Um, definitely a little bit, I don't want to say outdated, but any of the questions about that have definitely been covered, but uh wanted to at least put that at the front. Otherwise, the interview is, speaks for itself. I think that it was really important to look into uh, some of the ways that the money could be invested in this league, and uh, there was nobody better to do it with than Lindsay. So definitely enjoy the interview, and, and we'll catch you next week with our normally scheduled show. In the 2008 WNBA Draft, the Los Angeles Sparks select Candace Parker. With the first pick in the 2011 WNBA Draft, the Minnesota Lynx select Maya Moore from the University of Connecticut. your bi-weekly WNBA podcast here on Sport Ethos. My name is Corey, and this week I am joined by Lindsay D'Arcangelo. Did I, I, did I butcher that this time? It's just Dark Angelo. Well, that's even easier than I was making. <laughs> yeah. uh, from The Athletic and Just Women's Sports. So thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, no problem. Um, appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So we wanted to get into kind of the everything that was going on with the capital that was raised uh, at this point, I think two weeks ago. Um, it was announced that uh, it was raised by existing WNBA and NBA owners, as well as outside investors, including Nike, Condoleezza Rice, Mickey Arians, the Boston Globe, Dell, Haslam Sports, Swing Cash, Pal Gasol, Baron Davis, a, a bunch of people uh, putting forth $75 million to invest into the WNBA. It was announced that it was going to be used to look into marketing and brand elevation the globalization of the league and addressing some of the obstacles to growth. So uh, I know you said that you had listened in on the press conference with Kathy Engelbert. What were your takeaways from that? Um, I think, you know, she was very forthcoming and tried to be as um, thorough as possible when she answered the, the, all the questions that were being asked about just, um, just this kind of landmark investment, 75 mil um, and what, what they were going to do with that money, how it was going to be um, used and facilitated. And, and um, she was very um, encouraging about, you know, the, the future of the league, especially the, the immediate future. And she basically addressed everything from travel to salaries to expansion. Um, She really tried to give an overview um, just about the entire um, the entire um, projection of what the funds were going to be used towards. Sure. Okay. So I guess my question would be, and this is coming from, I know it's not a direct one-to-one, but you have a little bit of a background in looking into ways that people can invest that, not to that level, because this, this is, I believe they call it the greatest type of capital gain raise that we've seen, but investing in women's sports and seeing the best way to grow that, what would be the ways that if, if, looking at past examples that you would think would be a good way for them to not necessarily start, but just some avenues to explore. 
Well, I think the WNBA is in a different position too, because they, they're 25 years old. So they've had that time to really um, dig in and create a fan base, which is probably the largest it's, it's ever been at this point in time, I would say. Um, and, and to, and to really look at maybe past moves they've made that didn't work out so well and, and learn from those mistakes. Um, in the past, you know, I wrote a book recently called the, um, Hail Mary, the rise and fall of the national women's football league. And just in that research, um, with my co-writer, Brittany De La Creta on what we discovered, what went wrong and why this league failed was because of a few different things that keep these mistakes keep being made over and over again, whenever a new women's league pops up in whatever sport we're talking about, this was football that definitely had its own hurdles, but these are the basics, right? Uh, usually invested by men who want a return on investment really quickly. They want to see money right away. And which is ludicrous, you know, even the, all, all the franchises in the NFL from the time way back when, when they were first started, it takes years to build up um, a return on investment and, and to get to the powerhouse that these franchises are today. That took like a hundred years. So expecting money right away is just kind of ludicrous. And then the, the other side of that coin is the lack of time, you know, um, really, really putting time into the equation so that you can grow a fan base and you can create um, a, a, a product, but that also grows and evolves and gets better over time. The other aspects are starting small. The NWFL tried to just start with, um, I want to say eight teams, but they were all spread out all over the country. And so travel expenses was a big hit. Uh, and, um, you know, and that they'd have, they were having trouble funding and keeping up with. Um, so travel expenses, just not starting, not starting small, just going for broke right away. I mean, these are things that sort of have hindered the growth of women's sports leagues over time. So what we see with the WNBA is that they've, they had the help, you know, this is true. They had the help of the NBA. Yes. Um, but it took, the NBA and, and particularly David Stern believing that this could be a, a standalone product down the road. And he was willing to invest the time and, and, and capital to do that. And now with this investment, this 75 mil is not coming from the NBA. This is from separate investors. You know, this is nothing to do with the NBA. So that's a huge step. Um, but look, it took 25 years for us to get to this point. So what could happen 25 years down the road is, is, you know, anyone's guess, but as far as I'm concerned, I think a lot of good things, um, time and capital, you know, and what I love, I just want to add is that it's not, there are men investing in, in women's, in this league, in women's sports, Baron Davis, Paul Gasol, Ted Leonis. I mean, that's, I love that because it's not just going to take women investors. It's going to take men as well. And men who, believe that women's sports um, deserve the time and the investment. So I just wanted to throw that in there because I thought that was, I think that's a great side to it. Yeah. That obviously like I, over the last year, like when, when you see someone like Renee Montgomery buy into the league and it's not the same as investing the capital, but I've loved seeing that former players and stuff like that are able to get involved in ownership. But it is nice to also see on both sides that it's former male athletes investing. And because like you said, it needs to come from everywhere. 
and mm-hmm. it, it's driven me crazy just for the little bit of time that I've been involved, been involved, like watching and covering to the league to whatever extent that I do, that people just assume that because it's been around for 25 years, it should have been already up at, at these highest levels, not realizing they're comparing it to where the NBA or the NFL are now, not where they were at the 25 year mark. Yes, when exactly. if you do that, it's so far ahead of those. Mm-hmm. And they, people were not criticizing those. Leagues. I mean, they didn't have Twitter or whatever back then. So who knows what you would have gotten, but it's not being treated with the fairness that it deserves. The, the strides that they've made in even just the last five years from the 25 year mark is yeah. astounding. Yeah. Context matters when you're talking about these things and it's easy for someone to spout off on Twitter and, and say stuff without the context, you know, and the, the proper comparison. And you got to have that when you have this discussion, you know, um, there are advantages that the WNBA has, but, you know, that's not their fault. Yeah. They have the advantage of the internet and social media and game streaming, which the NBA in their 25th year could have used because they had games on tape delay in the finals. I believe they, they had um, games on tape delay in the playoffs and everything. So yes, that's an advantage, but also you have to use that to their advantage. And I think that's what, like you just mentioned the past five years that the WNBA has done really well. For the longest time. So like I'm, mentioned that I'm a newer fan, but it's because for the longest time, I'm in a more, I, I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. There was not really a lot of accessibility for the league mm-hmm. until league pass really took off. And, and that's kind of investment that a company has to make to actually like, it does take investment to create a platform like that. But once mm-hmm. you do, you can see the returns that it brings in for a company. Yep. And-, and then you build on that and more games every season for the past few seasons have been added to the national television schedule. They're getting the viewership from that. Mm-hmm. That's something that us who, people who have been covering the league for a while now have been hammering home. Like you, like you just mentioned, you have to put the product where people can find it. Mm-hmm. So then they, you know, it's up to them if they watch and decide, you know what, I'm good. Or if they watch, then they say, yeah, I want to see another game. I like this, like give them the option, you know, don't, don't make it so hard to find that, you know, it's out of sight, out of mind. So I've been happy to see the WNBA really sort of take that in and, and, starting to put players out front and center more and there's just there's just a lot more they could just build on now yeah it's 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 the biggest thing is that you're not going to make the league does that like you have to invest like people think that the money will come after the success and it's like you have to put the money in for you to get to a place where like you said whether it be the accessibility or making the product better like making like the women in the league actually want to be here, which is like something that like with what came up with Liz Cambage a couple weeks ago, or the situation with the Courtney Vandersloot doesn't come back over capital like this is not necessarily going to make that step right away towards that, but making it so that this is in fact the best women's league in the world for, for them to come play in is a priority to me. And you're seeing Mm -hmm. it just in terms of the overall talent in the league, but paying them and making the product look like that is, is that step. Yes. And plus, what I, what else I love about this investment too, is that, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna other and other people who have this kind of money to invest, their ears are going to perk up when they see certain names involved in something like this. And, you know, maybe two, three years down the road, they decide, you know what, I'm going to, as the growth continues, I'm going to throw my money at that as well. So, you know, that's another side to it. I I think it's just, it's going to open some more doors as far as, you know, investment goes and, and the WNBA is on that track, hopefully, to be like a standalone league, you know, and then those, the comments, well, if it weren't for the NBA, they wouldn't exist kind of a thing um, will fall by the wayside, you know. And I, 
ever how many franchises in the NFL have folded? How many, you know, you it, it's it's countless, but um people forget that. Like you said, it's just we did not wake up and have the NFL be the powerhouse that it is today no. or the NBA. You know, it just it took years upon years for that to happen. And um women's sports, the message is they deserved that time to period to grow as well. And what you're seeing too is a shift, I think, in the way society as a whole views women's sports. I think there's a huge shift in a positive direction where they are just entertaining. Are they different? Yes, of course. I mean, it's not going to be exact replicas, but there's things about the WNBA and women's soccer. Women's soccer, I think, is is totally on par. But you can there's things that you can appreciate about the different levels of competition and the different competition and take something away from either, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I actually prefer when watching women's basketball, women's college basketball over men's college basketball right now. And um, for a variety of different reasons, but yeah, it's give people the option has always been my thing and and make the product available. And then, you know, get in on what's happening now because women's sports is, is where it's, where the growth is happening. Yeah. You, I mean, the wave right now is clear. It, it, this is not by accident. There, there is capital being raised. And I think that even beyond that, and this is going back a couple of years, but as we see, whether it be expansion or teams being sold or something like that, you're seeing the growth coming from an owner like Mark Davis coming into the league or an owner like Joe Sy coming into the league. Like what you were talking about, how seeing people want to invest in the league. If you're seeing people like that who have been successful in other ventures, yeah. that only like builds up the profile of the league. And that, that's, what's most definitely. exciting. Yes, definitely. And then it's all happening. You know, it seems it's happening more rapidly now, these kinds of stops. Um, and that's just wonderful to see. And Mark Davis, like paying Becky Hammond, you know, multi-million dollar deal to coach his team. I mean, that that's amazing right there in itself. He, he's setting a standard, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's what was most. And, not to be on a more controversial end, but what was most frustrating to me was, I know it's part of the CBA and I know that's not exactly what we're here to talk about, but I kind of like your insight onto this because I think you're a little bit more knowledgeable on this kind of thing than I am. When you see that it was deemed too much of a, like a competitive advantage for teams to be able to fly their players or pay their coaches that level of salary. Like that was a bad thing where I think that we should be encouraging these leagues to just treat everybody like you would never in a, in a men's sport that would never be deemed a competitive advantage. It would be deemed that's mm-hmm. what you're supposed to do. So yeah, is that something you could see that maybe obviously it's CBA ratification and things like that are years down the line, but that's something like what this capital could go towards someday. Right. Yeah. And I think that's something that was, well, that's something that was definitely brought up in Kathy Engelberg's press um, conference and that she did address. And I think that's something that's, high on their list, but they can only do so much right yeah. now with travel. I mean, travel is a huge expense. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want to be, she phrased it delicately smart with the money and hopefully, you know, that will come down the road, but that's also something owners could get involved in. I mean, if Mark Davis wanted to pay to charter um, the, the aces to every single one of their away games, he could totally do that. He said you he know? wanted to. Yeah. He could, you know, and then, then you, what you have there is that a team that players are like, you know what, I want to go, I want to go play for them. And, you know, it's something that maybe will bring up the level from other owners to be like, well, wait, you know, maybe we should be offering this too. So who knows what could happen with that travel is a big issue. 
Um, it impacts the playoff schedule. It's why the playoff schedule um, was had single elimination games for a while because um, of travel and running into um, the fall sports schedule as well. It impacts how they schedule games throughout the season, trying to chart or not trying to schedule, you know, commercial flights and all of that. So it's definitely something that they need to address when exactly they're able to really fully do that. I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, we, we, we all know it's, it's, it's a, it needs to be a priority. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I think that's all I really had on, on the topic of the, the, of that. So uh, tell anyone listening where they, if they don't know already where they can find you, absolutely talk more about the book. Cause I know that I'm, I, I know that you said it's been out a while, but I definitely have not, I have not read it yet. And I really want to. Yeah, it came out in November um, and we're still doing lots of um, interviews and, and podcasts and things uh, and publicity for it. And, you know, no, nobody knows this league existed. It's about the National Women's Football League from the 1970s. It, it, it ran from 1974 to 1988. Um, and it's just, you know, we interviewed a bunch of players and talk about a, a handful of the teams and just the history of women in football and how this league came to be. And, you know, you get to know some of these women and, you know, they're still, they're in their mid sixties to late seventies now. So um, it's real, it's real life. And it's just kind of an inspiring story altogether, but yeah, you can get it anywhere. Books are sold. And then um, for me, I'm on Twitter is primarily where you can find me. It's dark angel 21 and um, with the C D A R C. Um, and I cover women's basketball and the WNBA for the athletic and just women's sports. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for making time for us. Like I said, and uh, definitely everyone go uh, check her workout. It's, it's awesome. There's a reason why I wanted to have her on the show. It, it's always awesome. So thank you so much. Thanks, Corey. I really appreciate it. <laughs>